You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Luke chapter 24, and so if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to go there with me. If you do not have a Bible, we're going to put the words on the screen for you. Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 36, and we'll read down to verse 43. Luke 24, if it helps, it's on page 990 in my Bible. So, Luke 24, starting in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and they were frightened. And they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it. And he ate it before them. So the question before us this Easter Sunday is, can I have a future worth getting excited about? In the midst of all of the brokenness and the times of uncertainty, in a world where there is school shootings and terrorism and corruption and crazy people who keep their fingers on nuclear buttons, with cancer and death and divorce and all kinds of dysfunction confronting us around every turn. The question is, can I really believe that the best is yet to come? Can I, in the midst of all of the pain and all of the suffering and the sorrow and the unanswered prayers and the what if of life, can I lift up my head and discover that truly there is hope over the horizon? I think it's of no shock to any of you that life is hard. We sin, we get sinned against, we get body slammed time and time and time again. Eventually we weaken to the point that we die. And maybe because of this, some of you are in the room this morning and you're starting to wonder, like, is this really as good as it gets? Like, is this really all there is to life and significance and happiness? Or can I really have a future that is worth getting excited about? A future that is so strong and so secure and so sure that nothing in this world can destroy it or take it away from me? That's the question I want to run after this morning. Before I go any further, I want to say this. I really am glad to see each and every single one of you here today. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't believe like us, I'm especially glad to see you here today. Or even if you've been in church your entire life and you're religious and you know the Bible frontwards and backwards, I'm still very glad to see each and every single person here. But what I want to do is I want to give you a reason why you may want to get up and leave right now. I hope you don't, but I want to give you a fair warning. The Bible is clear That there is coming a great and final day where you will stand before God and you will give an account for your short life here on earth. And 
On that day when you report in, as we all soon will, after hearing this message I'm about to preach today, you will not be able to bank on the classic excuse of, well, God, I just didn't know the gospel. You know, there's people out there who are banking on an excuse that one day they're going to die, and because they didn't really know the Bible or they didn't really know who God was and what he was asking from them, that they'll be able to stand before him someday and say, well, you know, I didn't really know this message. I didn't really know what you required. I didn't really know what this is all about. So therefore, cut me a little slack here, God, and let me in to your heaven. That's an excuse a lot of people use. I don't think it's a good one, but there's a lot of people in the world, maybe some of you today, who are holding out for this. And I just want to warn you that if you sit here and you listen to me for the next 25 minutes, You won't have that excuse anymore. But if you do walk out, here's the problem. If you don't know the gospel simply because you don't want to know the gospel, do you really think that's going to fly with God when you stand before him someday? I mean, do you think, honestly, that God has the discernment of a child? So right now, you're at a fork in the road. And... You're either going to move towards Jesus in the next 25 minutes, or you're going to move away from Jesus. You're either going to reject him, or you're going to receive him. Listen, there is no middle ground. And my hope and my prayer all week has been that every single person in this room today will move towards Jesus, that you will accept him, because what I want to present to you this morning is that the risen Jesus is God's total package for everything you desire forever. And therefore, if you reject him, the reality is you're also rejecting yourself. In that you are rejecting your deepest desires that God has placed inside of your soul. And you are choosing to settle for something lesser that I promise you will not be able to stand the test of time. And will not ultimately give you what it is that you are longing for. So that's kind of the warning before we go any further. And so with that in mind, I've given you the fair warning. I want to dive back into Luke 24, this resurrection account. And just to kind of set the context for you, Jesus has just gotten up out of the grave He died on Friday. He has now been raised on Sunday morning. And it's Sunday evening, the same day that he put death to death. And he decides to reveal himself to his disciples who think they're the next to die. And so what you need to know is at this point, the disciples, they do not believe in the resurrection, but they absolutely believe in the crucifixion. I don't know if you know your history, but the Romans were really good at killing people dead. And they just watched the Romans put Jesus to death. They crucified him in what is the most excruciating way a human being can die. They watched Jesus literally breathe his last breath, die, and be put into a tomb. And now they think they're next. So they're huddled up and they're concerned for their lives and they're trying to figure out what to do when suddenly, according to verse 36, if you look again, the real resurrected Jesus is standing right here beside them. And notice, whenever Jesus appears to the disciples, what does he say to them? He he doesn't scold them for the fact that they folded on him whenever he was arrested. He doesn't come to Peter and say, Peter, I told you I'm going to build the church on you. And yet, like, seriously, Peter, you denied me three times because you were scared of a teenage girl? He, He doesn't do that. But instead, he shows up, and in verse 36, look at this, he says, peace to you. Or in Jesus' mother tongue, it's the word shalom. 
It's a word that communicates flourishing and life and joy and wonder and everything as it should be. This is the first word that Jesus speaks to his disciples on Resurrection Sunday. This is the first thing he says to these men who, who, who let their fears get the best of them. And which what happens then is when we look at this, it proves the point that when Jesus rose from the dead, though he had physical scars, he did not have psychological scars. Jesus, in other words, did not die on the cross as a merciful man, but then raised only to be an angry and bitter and mean man. He doesn't walk up to his disciples after they had just folded on him and when, in a time when it mattered the most. He doesn't walk up on them and say, hey, you bunch of failures, I'm back. It's time to pay the piper, right? He doesn't say that. Rather, he comes out of the grave happy and whole and gracious, and the first thing out of his mouth to these very imperfect disciples is peace to you. Now, the reason this is important for every single person here today is, listen, no matter who you are or where you come from today, no matter what you have done or have not done, this is the same thing the risen Christ speaks to you right now. For some of you here, you deeply believe that Jesus despises you. Some of you may even believe that he would be wrong not to despise you after all that you have done in your life. And according to the scriptures, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus did not come to say shame on you for not doing what you're supposed to be doing, but he came to give you peace. He came to give you peace with God. He came to give you peace with yourself and peace with others. So the question this morning as we go forward is not, hey, what does the risen Christ have to say to me? But the question is, what do you have to say to him in reply? Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, peace to you. And then look how the disciples reply in verse 37. It says, but they were startled and they were frightened for they thought they had saw a spirit. Now, I noticed something in verse 37 on Monday that I've never noticed before in reading this passage. And I want you to think about this. Here's a question for you. Why do you think the disciples were scared when they saw Jesus? I mean, they had just seen Jesus raised Lazarus a year earlier. So why is it then that whenever they see Jesus, they don't respond by saying, oh yeah, we've seen this before. Yeah, we've seen this one. This is awesome. Like, yeah, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and now he's raised himself. Yeah, no shock. Like, why is it that they're so scared? And here's the answer. Because whenever Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead... The risen Lazarus, when he walked out of the tomb, got his mortal existence back. Lazarus would die again. Lazarus would have to die twice. Okay? So what the disciples saw with Lazarus, and now what they see with Jesus, is two totally different things. Because when Jesus came out of the grave, he came out the same. They recognized him, but now he's immortal. Now he's more solid than ever before. He's glorious. And because these disciples had never seen anything like this, they tremble at how amazing the resurrected presence of Christ is. I mean, they don't even have a category for what they're seeing in front of them. And so Jesus, I love this. He tries to be very merciful and patient and tries to help them. And so in verse 39, he says, look, I'm not a ghost. If you don't believe me, touch me. Like verify this. He says, a spirit, a ghost, does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have, right? Jesus, when he got out of the grave, was not like Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
For those of you that have seen Star Wars, right? He has that duel with Darth Vader. He gets killed and he just like floats around as a spirit, like this ghost. That is not what we see with the resurrected Jesus. He stands before his disciples getting out of the grave and he says, I have a real body, a physical and recognizable yet immortal, vibrant body. And then to help them even further, I love this in verse 41. He looks at him and he says, hey, speaking of me having a physical body, what do you got in the fridge? Isn't that awesome that Luke includes this in there? I mean, I just can't imagine this. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm hungry. You got anything in the fridge? I'm like, well, we got some leftover fish. He's like, can I have some? I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess so. And so they get him some fish, and they just kind of walk it over to him. And, and then he says, okay, guys, watch this. And he tears off a piece of fish, and he puts it in his mouth, and he chews it. And he swallows it right in front of him. And the whole point, listen, that Luke includes this, what seems to be very mundane and insignificant detail in his story, is he wants you as the reader and me as the reader to get a glimpse into our own future. In other words, what Luke wants us to see here, what he is describing for us here, is not only a resurrected Jesus, but also a future you. A resurrected you. An immortal and sinless and glorious forever year where one day, just like the resurrected Christ, you will be body and all perfected. And there are a lot of places in Scripture we could go to 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 talk about this. I don't have time to go to all of them, but I do want to read from one place. You you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, I'll put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Paul says the following. The fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits, and hang on to that, that word. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is the New Testament's way of saying have died. For as by a man, it's talking about Adam, came death, by a man, talking about Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Now what is Paul saying here? What he is saying is at the beginning of mankind, there was a man named Adam, the very first human, and he blew it for everyone. Because of Adam's sin, the Bible is clear, sin has entered into every single one of you and me. So now, because sin entered the world, death entered the world. But fortunately, there's a new Adam. His name is Jesus Christ. He came and he succeeded everywhere that Adam failed. And now, because of that, though everybody will die because of Adam, everyone who trusts in Jesus can be made alive in him. And so what Paul is getting at here is when he talks about the first fruits, I know that's a weird, we don't use that language anymore because this is a, kind of an agrarian metaphor, but what he's talking about here is back in the first century when the farmer would see that first grape come up or that first fig come up. It was a first fruit. It was a sign of many more grapes or many more figs that were to come. So what Paul is saying here is ultimately this, what happened to Jesus Christ will one day happen to every single follower of Jesus. Just as Jesus experienced a death, burial, and resurrection, if you trust in Christ, you too will experience a death, burial, and a resurrection. So eat all the kale that you want and cut gluten out of your life and do yoga and run, but eventually everybody in here is going to draw their last breath on earth. Every one of us will die. And if you don't believe me, just go Google death and statistics. The odds are not in your favor. (laughs) We will all die. And then we will be buried. We will be painted up, put inside of a box, and laid into a ground. 
Or if it's your thing, you'll be cremated and have your ashes spread across the Mississippi River or whatever you want to do. But the point is, we will all die. We will all at one point be buried. But here's the good news of Easter. If you're a follower of Jesus, one day you'll be brought back from the dead. And your soul will be put back into your body in this cosmic act of recreation where you will finally be transformed into the man or the woman you have been created to be. And listen, what we see because of Jesus is one day you will eat and you will live and you will romp and you will play forever in a new universe with a new humankind. One day you will be as you are right now, but with all the sin rinsed out of you. Isn't that great news? Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of dealing with sin. I'm tired of being anxious. I'm tired of getting frustrated. I'm tired of being let down. I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of being tired. And so praise be to God, hey, this isn't all there is. One day all of this junk that we have to deal with here will be over with. All sad things will come untrue. There is coming a day in the not so distant future for the follower of Jesus where all this stuff will be over and we will be just as we are right now, mind, body, and soul. But listen, sinless, immortal, incapable of suffering, incapable of screwing anything up, and therefore fully and finally and forever alive. That's why we celebrate Easter. And it's why, as Christians, we say that we really can't have a future that is worth getting excited about. Because what Easter reminds us of is the wonderful reality that the risen Jesus is God's total package for everything you desire forever. God is not, listen guys, God is not asking any of you today to settle for anything. God is actually inviting you to stop settling. God is not offering you by following him some consolation prize. Rather, he is holding out for you by his grace and mercy a future that you are longing for, a future that is durable and rugged and immortal and eternal and as glorious as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is not asking you today, guys, to trade your big, great desires for some lesser desire. Rather, God is telling you this today. He knows the core of every desire that you have. And in Him, and in Him alone, each and every single desire can be met. Mark Sayers, one of my favorite authors, says that this is really the whole point of Jesus' life on earth. He says it like this. Jesus' life on earth points us towards the future. And therefore, his actions are clues that show us how the story of creation will continue in the future. Jesus' healing of disabled points us towards a time where humans will be healed physically and mentally. Jesus' deliverance of those possessed by demons points us to a future where evil will be expelled from the world. Jesus' feeding of those without food is a glimpse of a future world where there will be no hunger or poverty or starvation. By turning over the tables of the merchants selling their products in the temple, Jesus shows us that there is coming a time where our worship of God will not be compromised by corruption and greed. Jesus' honoring of women and Samaritans and children speaks of a time when no humans will be marginalized. Above all, Jesus' resurrection speaks of a time where death and suffering will be defeated and the world will be resurrected. Because Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect, sinless life that none of us could ever live, 
And because he went to the cross and he paid the full, the full penalty for our sins, and then he rose from the dead, not just enduring death, but conquering death, we can now, no matter who you are or where you come from, stand before God holy and blameless and accepted, and you can experience in him everything that you are longing for. And the really great news is today, anybody can get in on this. If you wouldn't mind this morning being raised immortal to live forever in a new creation filled with the power and risen of Jesus. If you wouldn't mind being at peace with God forever and being at peace with yourself and peace with others. If you wouldn't mind spending an eternity in a world that you care about. That is flooded only with worship and justice and peace and holiness and gentleness and intelligence and laughter and equality and friendship and successful work and all the things that make this world sweet. If you wouldn't mind this morning losing nothing but your damnation, then you can get in on this. You do not have to go to hell. You can have heaven. And the good news is today, Jesus just spells it out for us. He shows us exactly how it can happen. If you look in verse 38, we're kind of coming in for a landing this morning. But, but, but Jesus looks at his disciples, and in verse 38 we see they're filled with doubts. Which, by the way, is a reminder, listen, religious person, which is a reminder today that even if you're not an atheist, it doesn't mean you're a believer. Even if you have some God awareness or some Bible verses memorized, it doesn't mean you are a believer. The disciples are here in front of Jesus, and they're struggling to believe that he is the real resurrected King Jesus. And again, behold the patience of Christ. To help them out in verse 39, what does he draw the disciples' attention to? his scars. He says, look at my hands and my feet where I have been nailed to the cross. And see, the whole reason that Jesus, to help their doubts, points to his scars is, listen, you have to get this today. What Jesus is showing all of us is if you want to experience the salvation and the satisfaction that you are longing for, if you want to actually get in on a future that you can get excited about, listen carefully, More than Jesus being interested in what you can do for him, Jesus wants you to be interested in what he did for you. He wants you today to look at his hands and his feet. And he wants you to believe that his scars have a greater potential or are better than even your greatest potential. He wants you to believe that his love is so vast and so wide and so scandalous that that all you have to do today to receive the forgiveness and the freedom and the future that you are longing for is to accept his gracious invitation to trust him. That's all you have to do if that's not beneath you. Man, I pray that nobody in here today leaves here too cool for Jesus. Too smart for Jesus, too healthy for Jesus, too religious for Jesus, too proud for Jesus. Listen, guys, the bad news is the Bible is clear. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin separates us from a holy God who alone can fulfill what you're longing for and looking for and other things that keep terminating on you. That's bad news. But here's the good news. Because of the atoning death of Jesus... The sins that were standing between you and God have been removed. They've been taken off the table. The Bible is clear in Romans 5 that whenever you were at your worst, God gave you his best. 
He came and he died a death that all of us deserve to die. And he rose from the dead, giving us now the future that only he deserves to live. And therefore today, if you've received this in just a moment, what we're going to do as we do each week is you're going to have an opportunity to partake of communion. To tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. For those that want a gluten-free option, it's back there for you. And so we're going to take a communion in a moment. But listen, before we do that, I want to say this. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, rather than receiving communion, I want to invite you right now to receive Jesus with the empty hands of faith. The empty hands of faith. There is no reason today why you cannot get in on this. There's no reason why you cannot have a future worth getting excited about. There's no reason why you cannot have Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. Listen, we're about done. Focus. This could be the most important moment of your life right now. What I am asking you to do in the name of Jesus is to cross the line from hesitancy and guardedness and I'll wait and see to saying, Jesus, you know, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve heaven. I know I deserve hell. I know I've sinned against you. But I trust that because of what you've done for me on the cross, my sins have been covered by your blood. And because I believe you are alive and you're ruling and you're reigning, I receive you right now. Would you do that this morning? If so, here's my only warning to you. If you really give your life to Jesus, and I don't mean like you went to vacation Bible school and you prayed a prayer for fire insurance, but if you really give your life to Jesus, if you really let him into your life, he'll take over. And I don't warn you of that because he's a control freak. I warn you of that because you're a control freak. There are times where even after you accept Jesus, you will forget that he embodies everything that you desire for yourself. You will begin to believe at times that you know better than he does, and you will insult him by treating him as a bad risk. But here's the good news today. Even when you are faithless, he'll remain faithful. If you will give your life to him today, he will come into your life, and you can have assurance now and forever that he will never leave you or he will never forsake you. And so right now, today is your day of salvation. What are you going to do? Towards him or away from him? He's here. Today is the day of salvation for some of you. Would you please accept his gracious invitation to trust him? God would love to have you in his heaven.